On today's show, the big day is finally here. The regular season arrives for the Hawks beginning on Wednesday in Charlotte. We preview that game, talk about the latest with regard to Okongwu and Bay, and some final predictions for the season. All of that and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1574 of the Lothar Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday here in late October. And the season is now here for the Hawks. And as always, we are here to take you all the way through the campaign in addition to the offseason. And I should encourage you at the top of the podcast to make us your first listen each and every day. Please subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple or Spotify. Also places like Google Podcasts or Overcast or Podbean or Podbay. And we're also on YouTube, on the video side. And today's show is something of a grab bag, but also certainly some final predictions to get on the record in between now and Wednesday. I'm recording this podcast at about 5.30 or 6 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, so about 25 hours or so from the opener in Charlotte before I head north up 85 to the game. But first, some follow-ups on what transpired yesterday. So if you happen to miss it, I did an emergency podcast about a half hour exclusively on the Sadiq Bay non-extension and the Onyeka Kongwu extension on Monday evening into Tuesday. All the fallout of that, all of the salary cap implications, etc. But I got some questions that I wanted to answer at the top of the podcast. It's still big news, obviously. And then later on in the podcast, we'll, we'll sort of do a Hornets preview, of course. And then at the end of the show, my final on-the-record predictions. But some questions that I got in various forms that I wanted to answer, kind of to tick off some boxes that I probably didn't touch on too much and what, what, what could have probably been an hour-long show last night by myself. But anyway... I got a question here that basically asked me what I thought about both Murray and Okongwu signing deals that are team friendly and what it might say about where the Hawks organization is now. So that question arrived in different forms. I want to point out quickly that Murray and Okongwu's deals, they're very different in a lot of ways. For one, Okongwu is a rookie extension and Murray signed a veteran extension after, of course, being traded and acquired for a large, a large package from Atlanta. The big thing, though, is that the Hawks were able to literally go to DeJounte Murray and his, and his reps and say, this is the most we can offer you and the best offer that we are allowed to give you under league rules. And that's what happened. They, the Hawks paid Murray the most they were allowed to, player option, all the bells and whistles, all that stuff. And that's essentially how they were able to get that done. But it, it sort of stands in, I'll say, direct contrast to the way that the Akangwu thing kind of went down. Like there is power in being able to as a team say, look, this is literally all we can offer you. I was still surprised that Murray signed it in some respects, but there really wasn't a negotiation. It was essentially the Hawks presenting the offer that they had to present logically. And then Murray basically deciding yes or no with the Kongwu, the Hawks could have gone to the max if they wanted to, at least the 25% max. They weren't going to do that, obviously. So it's a lot more complicated negotiation, which also made it even more surprising to me that they ended up where they were. But as far as the question is concerned, I think it's certainly a good thing organizationally. I'm not saying anything but that. It's certainly positive that two guys now have signed for valuable contracts with their with the incumbent team. I don't think you can say anything definitive for sure that it means like everyone's, everyone wants to stay and everything's perfect now in Atlanta, but it's two strong data points. The team can sort of use them in the future. And a lot of people have made the joke, and they should have in the last day or so, that I thought guys didn't like to play with Trey Young, etc. I enjoyed all of the variations of that joke because that narrative has been wildly overblown in the last couple of years, in particular, a couple of outlets that I know Hawks fans don't love at this point in time. But anyway, 
Uh, definitely some good vibes around the organization right now, and that includes both DeJounte and, and Aneka, even if those deals are not exactly the same for various reasons. Question. Next one comes from, actually, is, is about Sadiq Bay, and it says, does, does not signing Bay say anything about his priority within the team structure? So I, I wouldn't say that on the whole. I do think it's fair to say that Sadiq Bay is not a top, top, top priority on the team alongside, you know, Trey, DeJounte, et cetera. We, we already knew that. So it's not like it's a huge revelation. Like, obviously, Trey and DJ are the best players. Trey's sort of in his own tier. And then you have DJ, of course, who's now signed long term. Then you have the young guys like Anyeka and Jalen and AJ Griffin, who are considered to be like the young building blocks of the team for the future. They already paid DeAndre Hunter, obviously, and that was the previous regime that um, brought him in, but they did pay a lot in a trade to get him, draft him in the top five. There's like some stickiness that comes along with that. Even Clint and Bogey are more established here, of course, but they're also just like older, more established veteran guys in general, kind of know what they are. So Bay was already kind of in his own stratosphere on this roster, honestly. Like he's a clear rotation guy for sure. Like he's a, he's a valuable player. He's at worst like a seventh man type, maybe even better than that, of course. But they didn't draft him, and you know he's not someone that has like star upside. I think we kind of know for the most part what Sadiq Bay is. Not, again, a, a good, a good, valuable player, but not someone that's gonna like make you look silly probably in the future. So, I think it says what we kind of already knew about the Hawks and Bay, and that they obviously like Sadiq Bay. They traded for him only a few months ago at this point. They traded real stuff for him. He fits in a very nice role. He might even start on Wednesday. We'll get into that later on. But that, that's not like that's not really a guy that you like break the bank for, especially a guy that you break the bank for a year in advance, which is what any extension was going to be. Like he's a kind of a guy, a perfect example of someone where you draw a line in the sand and say, Hey, if we can sign this guy to a very valuable extension, sure. And if not, we're okay. Taking Sadiq Bay to free agency next year, because they'll have restricted rights on him. They can match any offer if they want to. And uh, it's a pretty, you know, ABC kind of negotiation there. Like not, it's not, that's not satisfying to Sadiq. I'm sure. But from the team side, I get why they did that. I don't think it says anything negative about Sadiq Bay. It's just kind of like he's the perfect example of a guy who probably wasn't going to get overpaid, especially when you factor in the Hawks' current situation with their money commitments. Uh, Akangwu is someone who could have blown up on them and cost them a lot of money. So, And obviously, that deal that he signed is, as I said yesterday, a lot is a great team deal, so it was a lot easier. But with Bay, it's like, yeah, he might get a good chunk of money, but is he going to get $100 million next year? I kind of doubt it. So I think it's as simple as the two sides – couldn't get close enough together to make a deal happen. And there's not really a negative thing around that. They still like Sydney Bay. Nothing's changed there. It's just the nature of the business and the way that the contracts are structured. Last thing on the question side about Onyeka and Sadiq. Uh, I know this is a question that came from uh, like someone on YouTube, I believe it was. Um, I noticed a difference between what you said about the tax reduction and what Wes Morton said on his cap sheet. Wes made it seem like the Hawks had more wiggle room than you did on the podcast, but I may be misinterpreting. So Wes Morton, good friend of the podcast, Peachtree Hoops. Read them over there always. I used to be the editor over there. Great site about the Hawks. Um, let's lay this out about what about basically one scenario and what it would look like. And it's simply a different projection on what the cap and tax would be than what I talked about yesterday. So right now, this is pretty nerdy, so stick with me here. Right now, the official projection, again, the official NBA-issued projection is the one that I talked about last night on the podcast. And that has the luxury tax line at $172 million or so for next season. But as I said yesterday on the show, that is viewed as a very conservative estimate by a lot of people around the league. It could go up as much as 10% from this year, which would take it, if that were to happen, all the way up to 10%, all the way to $181.8 million. So that's almost a $10 million gap. It's $9 plus million. And that is the number that Wes was using when he shared his personal cap sheet on Tuesday. So I'll save all the math 
that I talked that I did last night on the show. It's definitely a lot that we'll get into later on as well. But again, the gap basically is the Hawks would have 15 million or so under the tax with 10 guys, as I laid out, with nothing including Bay last night. Or if it went up 10%, like West laid out, it'd be about $24 million. Now that's a pretty big gap. Nine or $10 million is a huge difference there. I do have to remind everyone that you can't just give Sadiq Bay $22 million and stay under the tax. Like you have to fill out the roster too. You have to have at least 14 guys on your team making at least the minimum, et cetera. But if the cap, again, big if here, if the cap jumped up the full 10%, they would have a more realistic way of staying under the tax without having to sell off another player that they are currently paying a decent salary to. So a lot of ifs there. Um, I think you kind of have to default to the league projection right now. But I do think if I had to guess, it's going to be a little bit higher than that. We'll see how much higher it is, all the RSN deals, all that stuff. But it'd be a big thing. So if you're a Hawks fan, certainly you should be rooting for logistically. And look, I'll avoid a rabbit hole about ownership right now. But under the current common sense environment, it would be a lot easier for the Hawks to team build if the cap and tax went up a lot higher. So a lot of teams in the league would be in that spot. But especially this Hawks team with a lot of money committed, if, if the tax jumped 10%, that'd be a big, big help moving forward. So anyway, we'll talk more about this if we need to later on with the Congo and Bay. Those were some lingering questions. Again, a very good day, as I said, and I certainly encourage you to listen to that podcast from last night for more depth on this. But I loved, loved, loved the Congo extension. Sadiq not, not finding a deal is totally fine with me, and hopefully that answers some more questions on this. And if you have more, certainly bring them to me. Uh, there are three ways to ask me about questions on, on the show. You can either do so on Twitter, either at BT Roland, which is my personal account, or at Locked on Hawks. You can email them to Gmail, which is LockedOnHawks at gmail.com. Or if you are a huge fan of the show and want to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, you can include your question in the review that you leave alongside your five-star review. Okay, we'll move on from there. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a skill-based, real money, daily fantasy sports game and a prize picks. You pick two to six players and choose whether they actually have more or less than their prize picks projection. You go up to 25 times on your money on your entries. And at Prize Picks, you are not competing against other people. It's just you against the numbers. Prize picks actually can, can be managed in a minute or less. It just makes life easier and quicker. And Prize Picks also offers you an improved deposit and withdrawal experience, including the option to use Apple Pay for quick deposits. They offer frequent discounts, bonuses, and other exciting offers that includes community-wide promotions including stuff like Taco Tuesday and Flex Friday. And they have huge selections of sports and stat types not offer anywhere else. They offer projections on the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, soccer. They have eSports, WNBA, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, cricket, and many more. And they're operational in more than 70% of the country at this point in time. That includes California, Florida, Texas, Georgia. They're also in Canada as well. I've really enjoyed checking out Price Picks during baseball season this year for the first time. That's a fun sport to dive into. And now with baseball winding down, basketball heating up, football heating up as well, there is a lot to touch on with Price Picks and all kinds of offerings there. On the whole, the experience of Price Picks is awesome and it's easy and it's fun. I highly recommend it. Go to pricepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA. Use promo code LockedOnNBA for the first deposit match up to $100. One more time, that is pricepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA. Use code LockedOnNBA when you get there. Check out Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy with Prize Picks. All right, let us preview Hawks Hornets from Wednesday. Obviously, the first time we've really done a preview of any kind because preseason games are difficult because there's no injury reports and any of that stuff. And this game actually counts. Uh, first, it's at 7 o'clock. So that's notable for your Hawks fan that's used to 7.30 games a lot at home. Charlotte plays their home games a lot at 7. So circle that one. Don't be late for that. Um, pregame at Hawks at Bally if you're a local person, etc. 
And of course, it's the opener for both teams. As most league gets underway on Wednesday, there is a doubleheader on TNT on Tuesday as I record this podcast between the it's the Lakers, the Nuggets, and the Suns and the Warriors. But the Eastern Conference in particular, and most of the league gets underway on Wednesday. This is the first time the Hawks will be playing in a game that counts and that matters in about six months. That's the end of the Celtics series last year. And in short, the Hawks are a better team on paper. That's pretty evident. Like, for instance, the folks at FanDuel have the Hawks projected for more than 10 wins above Charlotte in their season-long win totals. That makes sense. The Hawks are just better than the Hornets on paper, but it's one basketball game. Keep that in mind always. And adding things, sort of adding context here is that the Hawks are the healthier team right now. So the injury report came out on Tuesday, the first official injury report of any kind for the Hawks in the preseason. And Wes Matthews is the only person that was listed. He actually has a mild right calf strain, according to the Hawks. He's going to be out for the game on Wednesday. Um, no word on any severity there. Obviously, the word mild is probably encouraging. And I'm not sure Wes is going to play or not in the opener. I would say probably not. Um, but, you know, look, he's going to be on the outside looking in with nine guys available that are pretty clearly the top nine, as I've, as I've discussed. It's, of course, if you need a reminder there, it's Trey. It's DeJounte. It's also DeAndre Hunter and Sadiq Bey and Clint Onyeka and Jalen Johnson and Bogey. And then, you know, you, AJ Griffin would be the uh, would be the ninth. So anyway, clear top nine. We'll see what Matthews plays if he's healthy, but that's their top nine, in my opinion. And in fact, it's a good sort of bridge because Quinn Snyder was asked on Monday, keep that in mind, about whether he got a good grasp on the on the rotation of the team in the preseason. And I basically want to share this clip. And I took particular note to the focus kind of away from starting lineups, which I think is uh, noteworthy. So here's Quinn talking about the rotation on Monday. As far as your rotation, did you get a good grasp of that during the preseason? Or are you still like toying around with it and waiting to see? Yeah, no, I think, gotta... you know, as much as anything, you know, we I don't I don't think we had everybody together in the preseason until the Philadelphia game. Um, but you get windows into it. You get windows into it in practice. And. Um, a rotation, you know, isn't something. It's not a, like a playoff roster where you have to put everybody's name down, and that's what it is for the, for the rest of the time. Um, I think the key through our group is, you know, rotations are malleable. Um, whether that be starting lineups, finishing lineups, you, you know, you see it more obviously with finishing. But even in terms of, you know, what are the combinations that are playing together, and that can change, you know, game to game. I know we fixate on who's starting. You know, that it's an easy thing to. Right, that's the way we report it, and you know, even our box scores tell, like, give us a limited picture of what's actually going on in the court. Um, I'm not sitting here advocating to change the statistical models, <laughs> um, but I think it's important, at least for me, as you're putting together those rotations, you're looking, you know, at who, who plays well together, you know, minute stretches, or someone playing three stretches, or playing two longer stretches, someone get more fatigued. Um, where their minutes being spaced is better for them and, you know, what combinations of players, not just two, three players, but in five-man lineups. And, and that's something that we continue to look at. And then the overlay is who you're playing, you know, and that impacts it as well. So there you have that. I mean, obviously, no no confirmation, and we won't get that, I'm sure, until pretty late in the game on Wednesday about where the Hawks are going to start the lineup that they used in the final preseason game, which of course included Sadiq Bey at the four. I spent basically the first 12 minutes of the podcast on Friday night talking about starting lineup. So if you have more, you want more on that, listen there. Nothing's been guaranteed, but if I had to guess, I think you'll see Sadiq Bey and the honor at the forward spots with Clint Capella at center and the star guards in the backcourt, but we'll see on all of that. And I think Quinn's answer there is pretty revealing and kind of also how I feel about things. Like it's all about lineup combinations. And I think he's very malleable. And I think the last, especially the last couple of years, Nate McMillan, 
um, has some strengths. Malleability is not really one of them. And I think Quinn is very open to being a little bit more, uh, a little bit more tinkering, a little bit more experimental about like who's going to start, who's going to play lineups, who's going to, you know, opponent based um, strategy stuff. So we'll see how all that goes, but we'll see how, what, what sort of what they align them with on Wednesday evening in Charlotte and they'll hold on tight for that. As I mentioned, the Hawks are the healthier team right now. The Hornets have a bunch of guys out due to injury. Cody Martin, James Booknight, and Frank Nilakina are already out due to injury. Martin is probably their best guy of those three, of course. Um, notable loss, although he missed most of last season as well. So um, TBD on how it's going to look when he, when he gets back. Also of note, the Hornets are operating without Miles Bridges, who is suspended right now, in addition to uh, some even more off-court trouble that popped up for him the last couple of weeks. Um, TBD on whether he plays at all, but he's not playing in this game, so we'll leave it there for now. And then Bryce McGowan is listed as doubtful for Charlotte in this game. So they have at least four guys out, probably five guys out in this game. None, none of their best players other than Bridges, who you know is a huge question mark in general right now. He's probably their second best player, so that's obviously a huge loss, but he was already going to be out with his, with his suspension. Martin is someone who could help them, but TBD there. Um, and look, last year, it, it's weird because the Hornets, I believe, as I talked about with Robbie Cowan on my over-under show about the Southeast, will be better this year. But part of that was tied to Bridges, who I'm not sure is going to play a lot anymore. But even if he does, like, I think the big thing is LaMelo Ball played 36 games last year, and he's going to be playing more than that, barring something weird. So I think it's crazy, but two years ago, the Hornets were in the top eight of the league in offense. They were really good offensively. They were like a 500 team. And last year, cleaning the glass had the Hornets as the worst offensive team in the league. Now, again, part of that is LaMelo missed half the season or more. But still, that's really, really gross stuff. Um, defensively, they should be okay. Not great, but they should be okay. Steve Clifford's pretty good at design defense. Mark Williams, uh, going into another season, I think he's going to be a good anchor for them defensively, but big picture, the Hawks are better than the Hornets. But as I kind of always like to look through the, this prism, especially on the podcast, according to our friends at FanDuel, the Hawks are currently as of Tuesday evening, three and a half point favorites in Charlotte. So if you don't know why that would be so small, I've already, already heard from somebody about that. Uh, look, like I just said, the Hawks are better than the Hornets, but it's a road game. And look, because it's the opener, I would expect a better than average crowd for Charlotte. Like usually teams can sell a lot of tickets for the season opener. So you'd probably be an engaged crowd. It's there's always uncertainty with the first game of the season. And, you know, for road games, you figure a couple of points either way. So like, obviously this, this perception of the Hawks being significantly better obviously applies here. If this, if, if this game was in Atlanta, the Hawks would be probably like seven or eight point favorites. So keep that in mind. Um, home, home court stuff, but big picture, it's a game the Hawks certainly would like to win. Like, it's obviously you don't want to put too much emphasis on one game out of 82. I'll leave that to everybody else to panic and overreact because it's a long, long season. But for a team that has real aspirations, this is this is an example of a game that you need to win. Like, on the road, yeah, it's always challenging, but it's a team that you're better than. It's a team that you know pretty well. Um, yeah, they're different than last year, but not, not that much different. So, and the Hawks are, they should have some pretty good cohesion. They're bringing back most of their team. Um, they shouldn't have so much of these sort of high, high and low roller coaster stuff that some other teams have early in the season. So long story short, a game the Hawks should be favoring. They should win if they play well, and we'll see if they are uh, able to show up and play well in this game. And look, we'll have lots and lots of observations from this one, I am sure. But even then, I'm sure I will say on Wednesday evening, as I record this podcast from Charlotte, like don't overreact to anything you see. It's one game. And uh, I, I know it's not, it's kind of just a fool's errand to even bring that up, but there you go on all that from the game on Wednesday. Okay. One more break to hear from our special today's podcast. And when we come back, we'll have some final predictions for the upcoming season. All right. So this is be kind of a loose structure on this final bets slash predictions segment. I've kind of been asked a few times to like get my final stuff. So here it is. Um, 
some bets from FanDuel sprinkled in here and also some just flat-out predictions that can't be bet on. But I'll leave with a bet first. I really like Quint Snyder at 20-1 to at FanDuel to win NBA Coach of the Year. Now, that does not mean that he's going to win it, obviously. It's a narrative award. It's hard to predict. But you're getting 20-1 to odds here. So you only have to – he only has to win it like – 8% of the time to be a great bet, basically. And in some ways, it's a really good coach of the year scenario because the team didn't change a ton for the roster. So if the Hawks improve, yes, Trey will get credit. Yes, Dejounte will get credit, et cetera, but so will Quinn, and he should. So I think if the Hawks go out and win in the high 40s, win in maybe even low 50s, he has a good chance to win this award. Obviously, you know, that wouldn't happen a lot of the time, but you're getting 20 to one here. I would bet Quinn down to like 10 to one, 12 to one, something like that. So a good bet there. If you enjoy that kind of thing, a non-betting prediction, Trey Young makes it all NBA team this year. Last year, of course, he averaged 26 and 10 and didn't even make the all-star team, which was again, pretty egregious. Um, I fully acknowledge it wasn't his best year uh, as someone who defended him a lot last year. He was not that great last year by his lofty standard. Crucially um, efficiency wise, it was way down. He'll have, be better, he'll have to be better this year to make the big NBA. Certainly about that. But I think that's going to happen both because I think he underachieved his own talent last year and because he'll have a better shot diet and a better system to operate in. I think we see a better sort of bounce back in Trey's perception as well nationally if the Hawks win more games. And I believe they will. So there's something on that. There's lots of competition here. So this is obviously a bold-ish prediction, but I think that he'll put up big numbers, better efficiency, and the Hawks will win more games, which is uh, going to be enough to take him to that. Uh, another sleeper bet, actually, about Trey Young. Uh, FanDuel has him right now to lead the league in assists at plus 480. So basically almost 5-1 to one odds that Trey leads the league in assists per game. Tyrese Halliburton is the favorite. And obviously, you know, he that makes sense. He was higher than Trey last year. Um, but plus 480 implies that Trey would have a, only have to win this 17% of the time to have that be a good bet. And I believe his likelihood to lead the league in assists per game is higher than that. Last year, James Harden won. I think he's probably not going to win it this year for all kinds of reasons. And only Halliburton, other than Harden, was ahead of Trey on the list. Um, he's also been in the top three, three consecutive seasons. So he's kind of the only guy, other than, you know, Harden's been up there too at times, but Trey's always up there. And I, you know, I won't make this a different bet. I'll sort of fold this in, but I don't mind Trey at 60 to one to win the scoring title either. Um, that one's obviously a lot less likely, but Trey could go average 31 points a game and I wouldn't be wholly surprised. And also, while we're here, I also would say, as Tower Jones laid out, Trey Young at 60 to 1 to win MVP is not likely to win, obviously, but I think you have to have the counting stats to win MVP. And Trey Young is going to have counting stats. And also, if the Hawks, this is a huge if, Trey only has a chance to win MVP if the Hawks win like 50 games. I'll say that. If they win 44 games, he's not winning, almost, almost regardless. But if you get the combination of like him averaging huge numbers and the Hawks making a big leap, and like, you know, whatever, there's noise in there. It's not not crazy. I'll just say that. I really wish I could bet, as far as the uh, odds are concerned, Jalen Johnson for most improved player, because I think there would be really attractive odds there. But at last check, no odds at FanDuel, unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, if you could find Jalen for most improved player at this late hour, I would not mind that, because I think he, again, not, not like likely to win it, but he has the profile of the guy who didn't have a ton of numbers last year. If he gets a big opportunity this year, huge talent could be in the mix there. A uh, couple more bets in terms of player stuff. Uh, DeJounte Murray to lead the league in steals is 19 to one. Um, I, I like the Trey assist number better than this, but I think Murray could do this. In fact, two years ago, he led the league. So he's done it before. And for as shaky as his defense was last year, in my view, and I shared that a lot on this podcast, he was still like, I think seven or eight last year in steals for the season. 
So steals are not necessarily a great defensive uh, you know, indicator as far as like who's who's playing the best defense, but DeJounte is really good, even when he's not playing well defensively, at getting steals and deflections. He's very, very good with his hands and activity, etc. And the Hawks, crucially, are going to be playing a more aggressive style this year, which could lead to more steals. Again, I'm not I'm not saying he's definitely going to win, but 19 to 1 is pretty attractive, I think. Um, sixth man of the year. Bogey and Bay have odds here at FanDuel. Uh, Bogey has 25 to 1. Bay is 75 to 1. Um, as of right now, FanDuel did not have Joe and Johnson numbers for uh for that either. But I think that Bogey is really good value, 25, 25 to 1. He can win it for sure if he stays healthy. I'm not saying he's going to, but if he plays 70 games, he'll be right there in the mix, I would imagine, as like a top three or four guy. Sadiq Bay, obviously a longer shot, 75 to 1. Uh, but basically, you would need Jalen Johnson to overtake Sadiq Bay for this to actually happen because he wouldn't have the bench minutes and the bench appearances enough. But I think there's there's a world in which that might happen. If, if they make a lineup change or whatever, it's not crazy to me. Um, last two things before we get out of here, and they are much more related to the team, which is why I'm saving them for last. I believe the Hawks are going to win the Southeast Division. I am picking that to happen this year. And through that lens, I also like the Hawks to win the Southeast Division at plus 200 at FanDuel. So for the bet purposes... All you have to have is the Hawks winning the division about 35% of the time. And I believe they would do that. Again, if like I'm picking the Hawks flat out to win the Southeast. I'm not, I'm not telling you to bet a bad number, but if you can get 200 like, I, like I've seen at FanDuel, uh, I would encourage you to do that. I, I, that's a good bet in my mind because I believe, and look, I'm not saying that they're a lock to do this, but if you gave me even money right now, Hawks versus Heat, I would take the Hawks. And I, I, know, I'm out, I know I'm out of the limb on that a little bit, I will raise my hand and admit that I'm lower on Miami from a regular season standpoint. That's a crucial qualifier. It's a regular season conversation. I'm lower on them. I I will acknowledge that. But last year, the Heat had a negative point differential for the season. They were outscored. Yeah, they won 44 games. But if they won 44 games this year, that won't be enough, I don't believe, to win the Southeast. And even if they do, they'll have to be better on the whole to win that many games this year, I believe. They were really not very good last year for 82 games. Now, obviously, they're awesome in the playoffs. I'm not fading Miami in the playoffs. Jimmy Butler's a monster. So is Bam, Eric Spolstra, et cetera. But regular season-wise, they don't particularly push hard. And that's notable as well. So I believe the Hawks are going to be, A, better than the consensus believes, and B, that I believe the Heat are going to be worse than consensus believes. And that means that I like the Hawks to win the Southeast. There you go. Um, I also, I'm not saying the Magic can't win the Southeast, but I think they're a year away, personally. And uh, they're the only team that's like sort of going to be in the mix. I don't think Charlotte has the juice and I think Washington's obviously rebuilding. So I'm a little bit lower on Orlando for this year, and I'm lower on Miami, and I'm higher on Atlanta, and there you go. Hawks Southeast Division. And the last but not least prediction that I have to put on the record, I've said it a few times at different places, but not necessarily on this show. Uh, I wanted to navigate the preseason and make sure the Hawks had no major injuries, et cetera, knock on wood, nothing but announced or anything like that. I am going with my official prediction as the Hawks winning 47 games this season. So I've been telling you all summer that I really like the Hawks over on their win total at FanDuel. In the last day or so, that number actually went from 41.5 to 42.5. So I hope you got it earlier, if you just in case you need it. But I don't believe you're going to need it. That's my guess. Um, I did like it more, and I still I still like it more 41.5 to 42.5. But my prediction with Nate Duncan, I did his show like literally probably two months ago at this point, and I had the Hawks at 46 wins. I've been in this range the whole time. I'm landing on 47 based on a couple different factors. But – 
In short, I believe this team has underperformed its talent level the last two years, especially last year when they were relatively healthy and had DeJounte Murray and didn't really improve. That was a team underperformance, more so than a talent issue, in my opinion. Um, you throw in the fact that I've said before, I'll say it again now, I think Quinn Snyder is worth three or four wins on his own compared to uh, an average coach. And you could even argue that Nate was maybe below average last year in terms of NBA head coaching. So maybe five wins, whatever it's going to be. I think Quinn is a notable upgrade there. I also think that there are more guys on the Hawks roster who are likely to improve than there are guys to kind of decline. Um, for instance, I think Trey, if you if you ask me even uh, better or worse than last year for Trey, I would say better. DeJounte, I would say either even or better. I don't think I don't think he's going to get worse if I had to guess. Um, AJ Griffin, I would say probably better. Jalen Johnson, almost certainly better. Uh, Sadiq Bey only came in halfway through the season, but he's obviously a very helpful piece. DeAndre Hunter, I would say even or better, um, provided he's healthy. Um, the only guys who really are like circles as far as like maybe they decline gently are Capella and Bogdanovich, but Bogey, once he got back last year, was pretty good, but he had he had some gross, he, he, had, some, he had some struggles early on the season. I think on the whole, he'll probably give you as much or better than he did last year. And if, if Capella declines a little bit, which could happen, I'm not saying it's going to, because I think, as I'm on the record many times, I believe Capella is now pretty strongly underrated. But even if he were to decline a little bit, the Hawks have, in my view, probably the best backup center in the league. So like that, that could be offset considerably. And they have 48 good minutes of center play. So long story short, I think this is going to be a team that is more likely to win 50 than, than they are to win 40. That's my guess. Uh, could be wrong about that. I'm not always the most optimistic guy in the world when it comes to anything I'm covering and following closely, but I like what I see. In the preseason, I like what I see from Quinn Snyder. I think it's a talented team. They have better depth now than they had. And when I said depth, I mean guys like 9 through 13 are better than they were last year. They had some real ugly minutes in 9 through 13 last year. This year, a little bit better than that, especially when you factor in um, it's kind of you know Wes Matthews and maybe even Patty Mills, Garrison Matthews, um, full seasons of Garrison and Bruno compared to what they had behind those guys last year, et cetera. That might be a small thing. And hopefully, if you're a Hawks, you don't have to experiment with that. You have relative health. But all that said, 47 wins on the record and a division title. Is that going to be enough for a top three seed? No, but they certainly could get there if they, they could win more than this. I'm not saying this is their ceiling. This is my projection, my actual on the record projection of, about this Hawks team. So there you go. I'm on the record. Division champs, 47 wins. That's my final answer. And we'll get underway on Wednesday evening. All right. That's all I have on today's podcast. Please subscribe to the show. If you're a new listener, just finding us now for the season, Stick around with us. I really would appreciate that. Subscribe on your favorite audio player, whether it be Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts, et cetera. And also check us out on YouTube. Like and subscribe to the podcast there as well. Tell your friend about the show, no matter who they might be, but especially if they're Hawks fans that haven't found the podcast yet. Help us to spread the word. That'd be awesome. Ratings and reviews, always appreciated. You can follow me on Twitter slash X at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. And uh, all that said, I'll be in Charlotte on Wednesday. It's a little bit later on the podcast. I have to get to a hotel to record the podcast after the game on Wednesday. But I'll be I'll be certainly coming to you live between Wednesday evening and Thursday morning for your commute with all of my thoughts and uh, observations and ramblings and analysis on the game in the opener. So stay tuned. We've made it, everybody. Basketball coming, 82 games. And uh, we'll have a lot of fun covering it all in this space. We'll see you all next time.